Yeah. <laughs> so all the amazing thing I shared did, didn't go in. Yeah. Sorry, your question again. So like you say you're tired mm. running around. Do you have certain, uh, certain kind How of... How do members of the sangha keep fit? Yeah. So, yeah, we avoid the part about. <laughs> yeah. So, um, some, uh, it is true that uh, that you d- it's not easy to see uh, Sangha members do go around doing exercises. Uh. Uh, <coughs> so, maybe let me answer it very briefly in a few um, areas. So, the first thing is, um, why don't we do it? Yeah. Then there's the, then how do we keep fit? So some of us uh, go for walks. Yeah. Uh, I used to go for uh, walks in a way uh, from this place to Shelford Lane. So that's about three hour walk once a week. Yeah. Uh, I would go on Thursday at about four. To uh, Hong, one of the uh, SIM. He was with School of London, UOL, University of London. Um, so he would come over, we walk over there. Then we reached there about 7, 7, 7-ish. And then we'll, I'll conduct the group cultivation for SIMBD. Yeah, but that was like maybe 5, 6 years back. Yeah. Uh, we did that for close to, let me see, maybe 9 months. Yeah. Then I went for uh, my own personal retreat, uh, so that kind of interrupted it. Uh, I do know that there are some uh, Sangha members who go for runs, yeah. So, but that's usually far and few to come by. Uh, I, I am not sure whether it's because very few of us do go and run, or is it because to begin with there's, there are very few of us around. Yeah. So even if all of us go out to run, the chance of or all of us just go out, the chance of you meeting one of us is very slim anyway. Then we cannot be running the whole day. So in that small window, even if a good number of us go out to run, not easy to encounter us. Uh, so I don't know whether that's the reason why it, you, you would seldom see us running uh, or is it simply because very few of us do any form of exercise. Uh, I... I am personally not a person who uh, shun from physical exercise. When uh, in the past I would go to drive to Fort Road, blade all the way to um, as far as Bedok or even Passeries, like spend the whole Saturday morning blading there. Sometimes if, if I'm game for it, I'll just do one more on Sunday. Uh, I would also go swimming. Um, there was a colleague who stayed opposite us and he would invite me over for tennis and stuff like that uh, or swimming. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, of course, that was before. <laughs> uh, so, exactly. So, like, imagine if you now see me, you know, uh, in a swimming pool. <laughs> Then the next time when you see me in class with all the ropes, right, you cannot help but the image of me, you know, swimming so quickly, agile like a fish, will just come into your mind. 
I don't know whether it, w- it would be agile or not. <laughs> yeah, so uh, th- there, are, there are certain reasons why we don't uh, partake in certain uh, sports. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, that's as much as I can answer for Sangha generally. Like. For myself, um, yeah, I do, I do see that, uh, well, it's a fact. Like. If you don't use your muscle, you'll just undergo muscular dystrophy. Yeah. Um, so, so occasionally, occasionally I go into a, <sighs> yeah, in, in the US, in fact, I'll tell you very honestly. Yeah, there was there were there was a period of time where I would do my own TKD kicks, you know, in my room. Yeah, do 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 do. But usually I just do for a few days. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, uh, they would do various form of exercises. Uh huh. The Buddhist College of Singapore. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so this is this is one um, this is one thing that uh, is the is the elephant in the room uh, for Asia. For example, I mean I, I'm not asking you to 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 like oh mark your huh, but uh, and I will not call out your names. Like a show of hands, how many of you? When you hear of uh, Sangha members playing badminton, basketball, or any kind of sports, as in physical sports, okay, uh, when you hear that, you feel like, wow, oh, good. How many of you will feel that it's good? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's a very healthy number of you. But we're going to take a look. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Especially if it's swimming. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me just say that. Let me yeah yeah there is there is there is there is. I even had to address the press because of that <laughs> last time. You can go and search uh, Facebook. Yeah. So, um, you all are you all are very forward thinking. Yeah, but there are those who uh, who feel uneasy seeing monks do anything. Other than sit there and chant. <laughs> last time, last time, yeah. Unfortunately, the, the 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 problem is that some of the people from last time are still around today. <laughs> yeah, but there are some who still haven't changed the mindset, and then some of the some new people also adopt this mindset. Unfortunately, yeah. And but I don't know, I don't know for a fact. Whether this is just my one-sided perception or not, but there's always this fear. You see, you you, you don't want to raise the raise the chance that there are a good, significant enough number of people who would mind. You, you don't want to risk doing too too blatantly that you risk having people to like. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is the the a bit tricky part. Yeah. Um. Then there is the part about our own precepts, yeah. Because uh, there there are certain certain aspects of it that highlights how we should maintain our composure, yeah. So um, 
the, the first most obvious one is if you have been to some Chinese monastery, then they will talk about the four, the four uh, posture. Xing zu zuo wo. Walking, standing, sitting, and lying down. Yeah. And there are, there are four aspects which they describe in a very nice verse. Xing ru feng, zhan ru song, wo ru, zuo ru zhong, wo ru gong. So as you move, you must move like the wind. Yeah, very gracefully. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> like that. Uh, cannot. Yeah. So that was once, I, um, when I was in the US, and then I w- wanted to go back to the to the dorm to get something, and I ran up and I ran down, <laughs> and uh, my senior monk told me off, not in a harsh way, but reminded me that eh, 要注意为不能这样子跑上跑下 Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah. So some some of these rules do exist. Yeah, some of these rules do exist. So uh, it takes it takes a lot of um, courage and also appreciation of you know the the fact that uh, the understanding of physiology to to appreciate that hey, just because we are sangha members doesn't mean that our body is different. Uh. The interesting thing is, in the Buddha's time, the famous Doctor Jivaka, he actually talked to the Buddha about this. So you are not the first; you are not alone. Um, way back, two thousand six hundred over years ago, this Doctor Jivaka, very well known in various sutta, especially in the Vinaya, he appeared a few times in the Vinaya rules. He was the person who who would interject, who would talk to the Buddha about health concerns. So one of the things he told the Buddha was that the monks they lack physical activity, and considering the fact that the monks in the past they go for arms round, you know, so every day they have to walk, you know, yeah, I don't know how how long exactly they walk, but at least maybe could be a click or two, yeah, back and forth would be twice that or so, but yet he still commented that they didn't have enough physical activity. Um, There wasn't any real real conclusion to that. Unfortunately, there was no rule set down that oh monks should has henceforth spend at least one hour a day doing you know tai chi chuan or whatever. Yeah, there wasn't such a thing. Uh, there were other uh, other cases where he interjected. For example, there were some monks who were unwell, uh, but they insisted on not taking dinner. Because the rule was already set, so uh, as a result, they they just couldn't recover. Yeah, because sometimes you just need that much more nutrient to keep yourself going, you know. Um, and so he went to see the Buddha and told him that, well, from medical point of view, your your monks are going to just never recover <laughs> if they continue this way. So the Buddha said, okay. So then from there, there are allowances given. Yeah, the Buddha first allowed Jews that are strained. And then um, all of them took, so some of them recovered from there, but some still didn't recover. Then the Buddha allowed further, yeah. So gradually, uh, a bit more, a bit more, a bit more, until all of them recovered. Yeah. So um, if we take that as a principle, then uh, there should be allowances given to uh, take care of the physical body as well. Yeah. So. Oh, don't be surprised if you see Sifu running around. <laughs> Do you 
when when will I ever be able to do this? Yeah, this seems to be like uh, not inhumane but unhumanly possible. You know? Yeah. So for example this this verse. So a Bodhisattva should have the mind set on attaining Nibbana or Nirvana. Uh, meaning that this person the the mind is set on this highest goal. Everything else pales in comparison. And recognizing that Unless you give up all your attachment, unless the craving and attachment for everything is removed, otherwise you cannot attain nirvana. Yeah. Uh, with this mindset, when we, for such a person with this understanding, then he will see that upon death, whether you are enlightened or not, you have to give up this body anyway. Yeah. In fact you have to give up every single thing. Yeah. You have to give up every single thing. So when the person has this deep deep appreciation, then the the last line. Mm. Why not while we are alive to just give it to others? Why not give it to others? Hmm. Now, um, let me let me share with you my uh, what I see as a possible uh, point of contention here, and it is that even if we, for most people, even if you can appreciate that, yeah, when you die, you have to give up everything, but then. Does it then mean that while you're alive, you should automatically give up everything and give everything away? Now this is, is where, perhaps in this line, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, oh, that is the case, then you throw away everything and give everything away. Yeah? Because you can also see that in the Jataka, uh, Jataka, some translation is Jataka tales or Jataka stories. Yeah, basically, uh, the the part of the suttas that outlines the Buddha's past life as a bodhisattva. In those uh, in those suttas, it describes the Buddha um, uh, giving up various various aspects of their life. Sometimes, uh, even to their life giving up his own life. But then when you look at the Buddha's time, yeah, in his time itself, uh, take for example uh, Anatta Pindika. Yeah, Anatta Pindika. Uh, he is the a very wealthy um, businessman. Yeah, and he is uh, so giving that he's given this name, Anatta Pindika. He who gives to the destitute. He who gives to the destitute. Um, the Buddha don't say that Anatta Pindaka, you must give everything until you are bankrupt. <laughs> huh? The Buddha don't say so. In fact, 
the Buddha even set a rule uh, forbidding the Sangha to accept uh, uh, or to go and request or to go on arms round towards those family that is said to be under training. And what is to be under training? Yeah, Xuejia uh, in the Chinese uh, Vinaya is Xuejia. Uh, that means this family has reached a stage where they have absolute devotion to the triple gem. Yeah, and as long as the Sangha requests or even without requesting, just pass by, they would try their best to do offerings. Yeah. Uh, now, one would think that, wow, so, so admirable, huh? Well, then in that case, Sangha don't have to go anywhere else, or just every day go to that place. <laughs> but the Buddha forbid that. Mm. The Buddha only allowed the Sangha to go to these houses when those this family that is already uh, determined to be at this stage of their own spiritual progress, yeah, that um, they must inform the Sangha. We are able to give now. Uh, then we can go. Mm, there is such a rule. Yeah. And the purpose? The purpose is to protect the, the lay community. Yeah? Not to, uh, not to uh, become a burden yeah? for the Sangha, not to become a burden onto the uh, lay person. Yeah? So from that, and um, the, the teachings enlarged. Then when we look at this line, uh, we should understand that it is more about the mindset that, well, to be ready to give, but it doesn't mean you must give everything. Huh? Uh, so do, I want to highlight this. Because otherwise when you read this line, it would, uh, it's easy to then jump to that understanding that, oh, since you're, when you die, you have to give up anyway, uh, then myself, while you're alive, Especially when uh, the line, the translation from the text is, and it is best to give it all to others. Well, then some. Uh, other religion talk about, wow, you become, you join my religion, you get richer, then Buddhism, you get poorer. Wu <laughs> Ji Jiang Shen. So, this again, this who is I. So, I would, for the person on this path, uh, he would. Um, he would give up uh, this body to to benefit all sentient beings, yeah. To give to sentient beings, yeah. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Uh, in order to bring to for the purpose of satisfying uh, sentient beings, yeah. Uh, almost like your to satisfy your whims and fancy even. Uh, even if it's in, 
including da ma sa, even if it's wow, hitting you, scolding you, or even killing you. Now again, I must put in the caveat enter. Some, uh, I think, some years back, there was this uh, person in India who jumped into the zoo, the cage for the lion, to feed himself to the lion. Yeah. Um, I can't remember whether he is a Buddhist or not. Yeah. But he had, he, like, basically his intent uh, was that, oh, he feels that the lion are hungry and he feels that he has to go and feed them. Yeah. Now, did the Buddha do something similar in his past life? The answer would be, yes, he did. Yeah, when, yeah, yeah, so there were, and it's not the only account, there are a few accounts in the Buddha's past life where he actually um, <coughs> sacrificed his own life in order to uh, ensure that uh, the, 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 the being that he's reaching out to uh, do not suffer from hunger or, or as a result then die. So, um, while the Buddha did that, uh, in nowhere yeah, does the teaching say, ah, so all of you, go and look for some tiger or lion, feed, your, feed them. <laughs> ah, it doesn't say that. Huh? So again, um, many times when we look at the Bodhisattva teachings, it's about the mindset behind the statements. Yeah? That if you are willing to give up this body, then why are you still caring about the harm they do to you? And here is you can see that it's in various forms, various degrees. When I read these verses, I wonder to myself, most people, not to mention killing us, not to mention hitting us, just school us, we are not happy with you. <laughs> yeah. Why, did, why did, does Sifu say so? How does Sifu know? Because Sifu himself, I'm like that, uh. <laughs> I remember when I was newly ordained, uh, uh, I spent about a few weeks in Taiwan before flying to US. So there's this venerable Guhua uh, Fasu. I mean, after, uh, after the fact, uh, in fact, during back then, I was actually very grateful to him. But at that point in time, I had this, uh, I still had this habitual. Uh, to, to call it habitual tendency is giving myself excuse, really. Yeah, is to give it a nice euphemism, you know. Yeah, it's basically like Beisong. <laughs> so he would sort of advise me on this, tell me off on that, and you know. But the moment I hear any kind of um, comment about what I do, oh, already, oh, whole face are like that. <laughs> But um, perhaps it's because at that point in time, I was really, you know, set on ordaining. So there was a lot of, I don't know what happens. I don't know whether it's because you, when you want to ordain, the, the whole process makes you do a lot of introspection. Or is it because when a person do a lot of introspection, then it leads to the wish to ordain. I think maybe I'm more inclined towards the latter. So for me at that point in time, I realized that yeah, I have this, you know. So 
I, I remember um, talking to him once. I told him uh, uh, that please have patience with me uh, while you tell me off. When, I, when you tell me off, I may look very unhappy and I may look like I am not accepting your teachings, your, your guidance, but please know that I'm trying to overcome this and uh, I do accept your teachings. Yeah. Um, I've been very fortunate in this whole life. I keep on getting tell by people. When I was in primary school, I remember uh, doing this island craft and I was making this, this tank with corrugated paper. You know those cardboard thing? So I remember the last part was to put a turret on and I applied glue, you know the white glue thing and then I put it on. But after putting it on, it was still a bit, you know, moving around. And the teacher immediately came over and scolded me. Why are you so greedy? At that age, I couldn't appreciate that. I was like, I mean, I didn't know about the word, what the hell, but <laughs> that's probably how I felt. And, uh, but years later, when I think back to that incident, I was like, what are the odds that at, at primary school, some teacher will come and tell you, you're so greedy. <laughs> I mean, it's just some glue. It's not as what I, I squeezed some glue to bring back. You know? I just apply a bit too much glue. Not so much, I, I, I don't think I was trying to be greedy or anything, but it was just that I didn't, I could, I didn't know uh, how much glue to use. Yeah, but it just came in like a knife, you know. Why are you so greedy? Uh, of course, for modern um, educators, well, that would be, you know, a, a huge damage to the, the what you call that? The, uh, what is that? Uh? Ego. What is the other nicer word for ego? Ah, self-esteem. Yes, yes. Self-esteem is basically the nice word for ego. <laughs> I mean, that's my opinion. <laughs> Please don't quote me. Okay? Yeah. So I'm, I'm very grateful because other than her, uh, for her, I can't remember her name. Um, but I remember this teacher who told me off in this way. Uh, all throughout my life, all the way until I become a monk, even until now, I still get told off by people. Yeah. But I'm actually very grateful. I once told my mom uh, that I come to realize that yeah, it's a fortune, it's a blessing, it's a privilege to have people continually tell you off. Yeah. Because um, they could have just just turn a turn that look the other way. They could have just saved the trouble. Yeah. But many of them when they tell me off, they explicitly tell me this. They said, I'm telling you off for your own good. And I, I'm I'm quite surprised when I think back. How many of them take the trouble to really explain like even in NS, you know, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, so what are the odds? So coming back, uh, most of the time when we when we face uh, difficulties, when we face uh, what we perceive as injustice and so on, uh, in the past I cannot understand this. 
in the past I always look at it in a very polarized black and white manner. Yeah. Injustice. So I in my world, wow, a lot of injustice. Huh? I feel like wow, big ping, like that, big ping, like that, big ping. <laughs> yeah. But um over time I start to appreciate that yeah. Uh there are there are other ways to look at it. Mm. Oh. So if you find that this is a bar too high, it's okay. <coughs> Don't do it first. Uh, this is my this you can quote me for that. Yeah. Liu Tu Wan Hen so many practices, why are you in a rush to do what something you cannot do yet? You know? Uh, of course if you tell me that after you know, we finish everything, you say cannot do anything. Then you really need some spanking. <laughs> okay. Ah, uh, yes. Can I just trouble you to go back to verse 12? Yes. Uh, can I trouble you to use the mic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. If I can uh, yo, yo. Uh, br- bring, yo, bring yo. us back to verse 12. Yes. Uh, in the text, page 79. The third paragraph that it says there are two obscurish, obscurations to be overcome. One, the obscuration of liberation, and two, the obscuration to omniscience. Oh wait, are you referring to the to the PDF file? Yeah, the text. Page seventy nine. Page seventy nine. Let me look for it. Hmm. Coming up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Uh, okay. So. Can you explain, please, the obscuration to omniscience? I once remember I picked up what you said that you are not very comfortable with this term. Yes. So I glance at it and I. Yeah, I know. Wonder what that means. Yeah. So, uh, the English translations often attribute omniscience to the Buddha. Yeah, often does that. Uh, but. The moment you invoke omniscience, then you have the whole whole mess of uh, question pertaining to free will. Take for example, if if somehow I have omniscience, then it means that um, in the morning when I woke up, I already know that uh, Ing Lui is going to ask this question. And if I already know that he's going to ask this question, then how can he decide to ask or not? It means that he must ask this question because I already know that he's going to ask this question. You, you, you get what, where I'm going? Yeah. I already know you're going to say no. And if I already know you're going to say no, then me asking the question was just to put on a show. And I also know that you're going to say okay. You know how you see how it how scary that will be. Now, if to make things worse, if he if I had said no and okay exactly at the same time as he did, yeah, or to 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 illustrate the point. If I were to now flip over to another page and then you see basically a transcript of whatever we have said, that would be spooky, isn't it? Yeah. Now but I'm not suggesting that it should it could cannot be true just because it's spooky. Yeah. But the larger implication is that then do we actually 
have the ability to choose. And if we don't have the ability to choose, then everything is predestined. Yeah. Which then um, uh, would contradict the first principles behind many of uh, the, the Buddha's teachings. Yeah. So this is uh, above and beyond free will and uh, omniscience is this approach that to me is perhaps even more important which is if you encounter some claims about the Buddha's teaching how do you know that the claim is true? when you encounter some teachings that is said to be attributed to the Buddha or some masters yeah, and because that master if let's say there's some master who is very popular and then he, the, the, he or she is very well known. Does it automatically make that statement correct? How do we verify? Now, to me, that is perhaps, uh, if I can impress upon you all this approach, that will be even more valuable than whether he's omniscient or not. And my approach is always to consider, if, I, if the new statement that I just heard, if I assert it to be true, and I put it side by that does it does it has any implication on any existing known first principles or axiom? For example, uh, the 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 three universal characteristics. Yeah. Uh, the first one, let's just take the first one, that all things are impermanent. Yeah. Uh, if all things are impermanent, then are all conditioned things rather. Then now there are some teachings that has the implications that no, not all things are permanent. Uh, are, sorry, uh, not all things are impermanent, rather. Yeah. But then the first principle is that all things are impermanent. I don't know whether I said did I say permanent or impermanent? Uh, impermanent. Huh? Okay. Yeah, so this is uh, to me a, a, a fairly reliable approach. Yeah. Uh, to to. At first cut, consider whether there is any um, contradiction at all. Yeah. Because the teachings should not have such glaring contradictions. Oh. So, omniscience. Now, if you were to consider the Chinese translation, if you just do a direct translation, it is the knowledge of everything which then seems like omniscience. Uh, in various schools, in the, inside the uh, Mahana tradition, the knowledge um, do not necessarily point to knowing everything the way we think of as omniscience. Yeah. Uh, but rather, it is that the Buddha has knowledge of how things function more about how things function the prince the fundamental principles behind all things and this this would uh, would make a lot more sense when it comes to uh, oh that the Buddha those who are Buddhists have to also develop this in order to be a Buddha such that he, they are able to uh, 
uh, guide and teach sentient beings because they know how things function, the principles behind them, and hence they are able to, you know, uh, teach them according to the principles rather than knowing everything. Yeah. Now, having said that, I'm also I must also um, caveat enter. Huh? I don't want to hide things from you. There are various schools that explicitly state that the Buddha knows everything. And as a result, uh, without bringing in Mahana teachings, it's very interesting once you get into more and more of the teachings. Just within Pali Canon itself, there are so many instances where the Buddha did things that suggest he don't have full knowledge. For example, there are so many occasions where the Buddha would approach a group of monks, they were having some discussion. When they approach, sometimes they are in the open, and when they approach, or when he approached them, they would stop. And then the Buddha would ask them, What was the discussion you were having before the Tathagata interrupted? Sometimes they are in, in a hut or in a room and then he would wait until they have stopped then he would knock on the door or he would <coughs> or something and again when he enter he will ask the same question now just hearing this um, why do you think the Buddha asked this question out of courtesy if say just now when I came in before class, some of you were talking, right? And if I were to ask you, like, what was the, the, the point of discussion that you were having before Sifu came in? Trying to find out more. So if Sifu does it, it's trying to find out more. If it's Buddha, it's out of courtesy. Why? Then it's okay to, to be different, you know, after all, Buddha, Ma, Sifu, how can you compare with the Buddha? <laughs> but what is the reasoning? But, and this is just one, one train of thought. Huh? Uh, so, what would be the reason why the Buddha would have to ask out of courtesy? What do you all think? What do you all think? He wants to engage with people he sees. He wants to engage them. Okay, what else? Any any other possibility? Because he just didn't know what was discussed. Yeah. Whether or not it's because he didn't enter jhana or not, that's perhaps immaterial, isn't it? Yeah. Now, some commentaries under certain schools came up with some explanations, uh, which personally <laughs> is rather contrived. The explanation is that, oh, no, 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 actually he knows everything. But then he conforms to convention. He's supposed to act like he didn't know. So I'm like, why do you have to go, you know, invoke such a convoluted explanation? I like what Wai Wai said 
because he just he didn't know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm telling you this because if you were to read further, you'll find that yeah, there are different differing views on just this one aspect of the Buddha. And this is just one aspect, huh? Of whether he knows everything or he doesn't know everything. Um, is this important? For all intents and purposes, it's actually not so important to us. Yeah? Unless you are now at stage eight, for example, then you would be you'd be very crucial because a sufu. If you get this wrong, uh, I cultivate Laopantian, I cultivate for two more one more Asanka Kya Kappa, then in the end, tong tong, sorry you cultivate the wrong thing. You're supposed to go and know everything. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, for most of us, whether the Buddha is omniscient in that sense or not, uh, don't really have direct implication on us. Secondly, uh, it, there could be certain implications. What is the implication? The implication is, uh, for many people, the for someone to be worthy of respect, the person must be super duper amazing extraordinary otherwise why must you know why must we take refuge in you so here i want to share with you three features uh, of most uh, religious uh, how, should, how should i put it religious figure or religious center most religion has divine beings or some kind of uh, some form of div divinity and the divinity would inevitably have these three qualities <coughs> I should say maybe um, common when I say common I don't mean that the qualities are common but these are common among the various religions maybe I should rephrase that Three qualities of divine beings and divinity common among uh, various religions. Yeah, and it is the first thing being omnipotent. LibreOffice don't auto number. <laughs> number two, omnipresent. Number three, Omniscient. So the first thing is, I'm going to just write in very colloquial English. Huh? Can do everything. Slash anything. No limit. Number two, can be everywhere. Slash anywhere. Number three, can know everything and anything. This is this is basically what it is. Very chim terms in very ordinary English. <laughs> um, I can't say that I've studied uh, anthropology or uh, a, a lot of religion but I 
did my share of uh, uh, study into various religions. Uh, and I find that these are the common themes. There are many other features, of course, but uh, all of them would have, have claims to omnipotency. And perhaps omnipotency is one of the most crucial ones. The ability, ability to do anything without limits. And in many ways, this first statement is the very cause of many uh, atrocities, many um, war un un uncountable. Uh, some students ask, why is it that um, uh, religious cent centers or places of worships get attacked and desecrated? Yeah. It is fundamentally because of this first quality that are being claimed by various religions. If your divinity, uh, shy of using the word God, if your divinity that you worship is omnipotent, that means almighty, all-powerful, then surely no one can destroy uh, his, his or his, his temple if he, he doesn't want it to happen. So in ancient times, especially in Europe uh, or, or Mediterranean countries, when they attack each other, one of the first things that they <coughs> attack is the, is the city temple. Yeah. By desecrating it, by destroying it, and oftentimes today when we watch movies, it's fairly dramatized. Yeah. Not easy to pull down a structure, you know. I mean, look at Iraqi war, you know. Saddam Hussein's statue, you take bulldozer, kiko, kiko, then, you know, then it collapsed, you know, <laughs> and then half of it collapsed. <laughs> but then in movies, always just a few men, ping pong, ping pong, then come down, uh, not so easy. But what probably usually happened is they would just deface the, the statue. Yeah. You can see it in China as well. You can see it all over the whole world. Now, um, so for most religion, the moment the temple is being desecrated, it does a few things. For one, it is a psychological attack. Yeah, the defending uh, country would feel panic. Yeah, and they would probably, you know, highlight that your 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 God, your divinity, cannot even protect his own temple. Yeah, you think he's going to protect you? So, uh, this is something that uh, can be seen throughout history. Uh, but how about Buddhism? How about Buddhism? <laughs> Impermanence. Uh. Uh, back in 2000 or early 2000, was it 2000 or 2001? Uh, the Taliban bombed the Bumiyan Buddha. Yeah. Uh, there were w w was there any protests or strikes or you know did any Buddhist stage a march or something? No, huh? in fact, uh, it was uh, some foreign uh, countries, Western foreign countries, uh, that tried to intercede, yeah, and they tried to go in to to remove the facade and then you know ship it out, <laughs> try to do something like that. Meanwhile, Asian countries, <laughs> yeah, and in fact, for many 
Asians. I don't know about you, but for me, it was only because they, when they bomb it, then I know that, oh, there are, there's Bumiyam Buddha, you know. Yeah. So I shared in some interfaith circles. I said, well, for Buddhists, um, rightly speaking, when something like that happened, we shouldn't be angered. Because by destroying the <coughs> Buddha statue, they actually illustrate the Buddha's teaching. Not that they were trying to illustrate the Buddha's teaching, but they inevitably, unwittingly, illustrate the Buddha's teaching. Now, but I'm not suggesting that Buddhists, as a result, don't respond. Yeah, we don't respond <coughs> more because we are, we are very passive than because we have a deep appreciation of the Buddha Dhamma and we say, hmm, it's okay, yeah, that is Dhamma. I'm sure a lot of Buddhists can't you know. Yeah. So, enough said, omnipotent. The Buddha never stated such a claim anyway. How about omnipresent? So this is where it becomes tricky and even Sifu has a difficulty to try to explain this away. Because in some uh, Mahayana Sutras, it does seem to allude to that. Yeah. And in, uh, in the Zen tradition, yeah, Chinese Chanzong. Yeah, there are some teachings that interprets forcing as being present throughout. Yeah, but then, then from forcing, then it says so. For is everywhere since forcing is everywhere. Yeah, Buddha nature. Yeah, Buddha nature in some branches of of uh, the Chanzong. Uh, Buddha nature is present in the carpet also. Buddha nature is present in this table, in the computer, in the table, in the tree, in the mountain, all over the place, you know. Yeah, I had a good time, uh, several, spent several hours debating with this senior monk about this. Uh, the, the, the explanation, they, they do have a certain logic to it also. Their simple explanation is, what did the Buddha teach? Simply, all things are impermanent, correct? Uh, before we attend Dharma class, we sort of know, but we didn't really appreciate the thing. Yeah? But you look at this computer, did it attend Dharma class? It didn't attend Dharma class. But then it is it will follow impermanence. The carpet don't attend Dharma class, even as we are having Dharma classes here. But yet the carpet will will go along with impermanence. So when I heard that, I was like, ah? But let me not refute it first. Let me explain according to their logic. So their logic is, because all things in the world conform to the Buddha's teaching, so they have Buddha nature. But that is, in a way, circular reasoning. Let me not refute it first again. <laughs> I'm just trying to explain to you according to how they explain it. Okay? Yeah. I'm not saying that I agree to it. Huh? So this is one instance of one of the school where it can end up so Buddha is everywhere. Yeah. There are, there are some others, but again, the Buddha don't claim to be everywhere. If he was everywhere, then there wouldn't be Aztecs, isn't it? The Aztecs would have learned about the Buddha Dharma 
in South America. The Indians, well, they are not really Indians. It's because they give them the wrong name. They, they, when they arrived, they thought that they have arrived in India, but then they, they didn't know that they haven't gone one loop. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Did the Buddha go to China? No. Yeah. Did the Buddha go to Europe? He didn't. Yeah. Um, in many ways, the Buddha behaved in a very human manner. Uh, when he he and his monks arrived at a at the river bank, there was this ascetic uh, from another school who kind of like wow show off uh, or dis- made a display of his psychic power and basically moved from that bank across over. So all the disciples. No, the disciples were like, wow. Then the Buddha just remained silent. And when the uh, boatman came back, he asked the boatman, how much does it cost for a person to cross the river? Then the boatman said, a certain unit, which is a small number, like a few masaka. Masaka is a unit of uh, currency back then. <clears throat> then the Buddha said, that is how much that Ascetic's psychic power is worth. So in this account, you can see that Buddha Bukeki wanna when it comes to certain things. Yeah, uh, it's politically incorrect to say say that lah today, you know. But if you think about it, it's true. Uh. I mean, if have you heard of people who? try to learn meditation so that they can float in the, in the air right but and in fact when I came back from US for short visits and when I met up with my friends and ex-colleagues they would ask me questions like this also now hey how can fly here <laughs> so I'm like okay okay uh, wait uh. Well, then they really <gasps> then I look at them and laugh I say you really believe I can I say if you want to fly if I want to fly I don't have to spend all the time to learn how to meditate I just go to you know go online and book an air ticket <laughs> now Air Asia I think there's some something $12 only yeah SQ for kids it's only don't know $8 or what <laughs> yeah so, whether it's some psychic power or the ability to be present everywhere, um, I we can see from the Buddha's example, he don't do things just for the sake of doing it. It must serve a purpose. Yeah. And so far, he don't seem to just appear here and there for no good reason. Yeah. Now, having said that, there are suttas that talk about the ability of individuals when they cultivate their mind very deeply, they can have the ability to uh, express uh, seemingly extraordinary supernatural feats, yeah? uh, including manifesting multiple forms of themselves, and each of the copy doing different things. Oh, don't you wish that you can do that sometimes?
but the Buddha didn't do that for the most part. Uh. Yeah, you don't really see him doing that on a day-to-day basis. So, last thing, omniscient, we have already covered. Now, when we look at this tree, um, I spent some time thinking about this. And I realized that this tree, perhaps, that's a very big perhaps, uh, perhaps has lesser to do with some divine force outside than our own fear inside. In our life, there are many things we cannot do, but we wish to do. We want to be there for our loved ones while going to work, but we cannot be at two places at the same time, not to mention all the places at the same time. We wish we know what our partners are thinking. We wish we know what our kids are thinking. We wish we know what others are thinking, but we can't. And perhaps why these three qualities are uh, seen in so many religions, so many cultures and races and so on, is perhaps because we all face the same uncertainty in life. And faced with this, we project this outwards and hope that, yeah, hope and wish and believe that while we cannot do it, some divine beings can do it. Now, in this... um, in this setting, uh, we don't see the Buddha trying to do that. Yeah, we don't see the Buddha trying to placate us, you know, because we are afraid. Then he tried to come out with something to give us a comfort thing. Yeah. Faced with aging, sickness, and death, he tells us it's in the face, whatever is born is subject to aging, sickness, and death. Only when you can overcome the craving to be born, (laughs) desire to be born, can you overcome aging, sickness and death? So I think, enough said, he's not someone who will, you know, entertain you just to make you feel better. So in my opinion, uh, uh, this this part here about omniscience uh, should not be interpreted in that way of like or knowing everything, you know, in that sense, yeah. Uh, so these two parts, the first part, obscuration to liberation, is more to do with uh, the Sravaka path, yeah. Uh, in other words, the uh, the the you you can say defilements, ignorance, uh, that leads to suffering. Yeah. Uh, so these are obscurations to liberation. Then obscuration to omniscience. Uh, here, <laughs> I would quote this text. Let me cite you the text.
Mahayana Sangraha Sastra. So in this text, it talks about uh, there's this verse, Wu Shi Shi Lai Jie, Yi Jie Fa Dan Yi, Yu Chi Yu Zhu Xu, Ji Nie Pan Zhen De. So this is part of the opening section, and it it basically um, this commentary is also known in the English translation as summary of the greater vehicle. So um, in the opening, the first chapter, yeah, so it describes, so let me just type out the Chinese word, so, uh, so, so the first chapter is and it refers to the support of the knowable. And this is none other than Alaya Consciousness. Can see? Uh, do you need me to zoom? I see you squinting. Let me... Should I increase the... Okay. Is this better? Is this better? Can oh sorry. Yeah. So this Swatzi This Swatzi uh in this is under the school of Yugachara, Yugachara school. Okay? This under Yugachara school. So in the, I'm just giving you a brief. Huh? If for, if you want to know more, attend the Wednesday class. <laughs> it's a shameless plug. So this uh, in the Yuga Shura school, everything is in a pair. Then, uh, where is the Chinese? Then, And so, Nen Zhi is the knower, and Suo Zhi is the knowable. And what is knower? Knower is basically the mind, and the knowable is the world. All phenomena that the mind can uh, the Chinese word yuan lü sometimes can be a bit hard uh, can can uh, not quite not quite encompass encompass is sir uh, can can know uh. well uh, I'm gonna just use the word know first uh. So our mind is able to uh, to know this world, to become conscious of this world, to be aware of this world. Okay, 
I'm very I'm giving a very quick background uh, then to, to, to link back to the that omniscient or not thing uh, the, the the obscuration to knowing all so here um, so so this is this is a standard definition no? um, so nanzi and shuozi our mind is the nanzi yeah, the knower and the world is that which the mind can know about yeah so far so good mm. so <clears throat> uh, within this commentary then uh, it highlighted a few things one of the things that distinguishes um, between the Shravaka disciple Pachika Buddha and the, the, the Buddhas and the high-level Bodhisattvas yeah, or if we can just say Buddhas uh, is that the Buddha first of all is able to know about the Allah consciousness and then from there most importantly in the Shravaka path Shravaka plus Pacheka Buddha path when we talk about uh, dependent origination what are we talking about? we only talk about the 12 links of dependent origination in other words we talk about how suffering arise so in the in this commentary it highlights that um, the Buddha knows this but he highlights <coughs> the alaya dependent origination lai ye yuan qi and which is that uh, this whole world depends on alaya consciousness uh, as seeds yeah and uh, on top of that our discriminating mind our deluded mind yeah as a supporting condition so these two together then this whole world manifests so these are the two levels and this this is what I, I meant earlier about how uh, the Buddha know the underlying principles of all things the first one here This is also about how the Buddha look at all things yeah, in terms of uh, our cyclical existence. Yeah. Uh, the second one is also looking at all things but it's, talk, it's looking at how uh, all things is a manifestation of our karmic seeds. And inside this text then it talk about uh, a term which those of you who have attended some Dharma talks or classes will be familiar but unfortunately I must tell you most of us have been taught wrongly <laughs> yeah it's quite amazing 
So, I've met some of you who have attended my class a few times, you have heard me explain this already. Most common explanation of Shuzi Zhang, what is it? What is it? Uh, common, common, I highlighted common. Don't give me my answer. I know my answer. <laughs> I would have said the same thing. But I want to know, I want you all to share what is the common explanation of Shuzi Zhang. What is the common explanation? If, I mean, if you don't know, just say don't know. Huh? No, but forget. So the comment, uh, yes. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. So, um, obstacle. Yeah, thanks for the for highlighting. So obstacle of the knowable or of the known. So you know how some people interpret this So they say So it's because of what you know that become an obstacle So they use this to, <laughs> to, to, to tell people Don't study too much Dharma Otherwise you have So Right? And this is the common explanation by various, and I'm, talk, I'm talk, talking about some Kochikura teacher. Uh, this is the common one that has been given for so many years. When I was a lay person, you know, attend Dhamma talk in the 80s, that's what I've been hearing. So, okay, so it's okay, you feel like that. Then later, <laughs> after I didn't go and read this, I go through the Sastra, eh, this symptom, uh, is it the same thing? <laughs> eh, it seems, but the meaning is totally different. What is the meaning? The meaning in this commentary highlighted, remember the title of this commentary, Mahana Sangraha, Summary of the Greater Vehicle. So in this commentary, it highlighted several points about what is unique about Mahayana. Usually in classes, I just give you like Tongsa Sansen, Mingzi Weita, the Greater Vow and so on. But in this commentary, imagine it's a thick commentary, uh, just talking about the uniqueness, the unique teaching specific to Mahana, yeah, specific to the Buddha's wisdom. And this is one of them. And it highlights uh, So the Arahans, the Pachika Buddha, has this obstacle. What obstacle? Not the know too much then becomes a problem. Uh. NTU student. Should I answer? Can't talk now. Call me later. Want to do an interview. But not now, huh? So in this commentary, then it says Arahans and Pachika Buddha. <laughs> Which Hello? Y yes. Hey, I'm Hello? 
I'm having a class right now. Yeah, can, can you call me back later at maybe close to 10? Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Yes, okay. So, uh, so this is just one of the things it highlighted, the distinction between the Arahant, Pachika Buddha, and the Buddha. That while the Arahant and the Pachika Buddha has removed the, the obstruction, the obstruction of ignorance that lead to cyclical existence. Yeah? So it has no ignorance as far as this part is concerned, but it still has ignorance as far as the fact that all things arise due to the manifesting from Alaya consciousness. Mm. Yeah, it, so it highlights that uh, only the Buddha is, a, is able to, to see this. Uh, so that this is one of the distinctions that was highlighted. Then says that, so uh, yeah, the referring to Sravaka, Erchen means the two vehicles. There are three vehicles, right? Shravaka, Pacheka Buddha, and Bodhisattva. Yeah. So Erchen Ren, these two, these two. But, but when I say these two are respectfully, okay, because these are enlightened beings. Huh? But from the angle of a Buddha, these two categories of uh, enlightened beings, they still have this other part that they are not aware. Yeah. But not knowing this doesn't prevent them from attaining what we call free of suffering. Yeah? They are already free of suffering. Okay? Uh, so this is one distinction that I want to highlight. And so in light of this, in light of this, then we go back to this. Huh? Uh, it matches nicely with this section. Yeah? In which case then, the obscuration to omniscience is actually not what we think. Is actually this supreme knowledge of how Allah consciousness works. So if this is my basis, yeah, from another another commentary, yeah. Thank you. Mm. Okay, omniscience. There is no other most suitable word. Ah, uh, uh, I don't even use omniscience. I will just say. Uh, because it's ichiezi, um, non. I would, I would just put knowledge of, uh, or all knowledges. Yeah, obscuration to all knowledges. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the challenge is when we try to come up with a single phrase to explain a <coughs> complex concept. Okay, anybody have other questions or thoughts? Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Heng Chang Da Ma Sa.
众人悉我身，轻毁病机房，勿生计以失，云何复珍惜？嗯。So this 啊，众人悉我身。This 啊，众是不是放纵的众哈？ Yeah. So 呃、uh, ，for people to like wantonly 呃、uh, ，this seed， 呃、uh, ，they translate as treating it like a toy 啊，啊 ，but basically to do as they please with your body， yeah， to do as they please for their own pleasure。then 轻毁病机房， so this 轻毁，呃，毁辱。Yeah, to verbally abuse you. Huh? Did you see something? Oh no. Uh, to verbally abuse. Yeah. Or to jifeng. That means to. Uh, talk to you with sarcasm. Yeah. Uh, or criticism and sarcasm. Uh. So, 勿生计以失。Yeah. So since even this body is ready to be given, ah,、uh, or already given, already done out. So, 云何复珍惜？ And、then, for what purpose? For what reason do we cherish it? In other words, with respect to the first two lines, if you let If you are ready to let people just do whatever they please with this body, then you are okay to bear with criticism or insults or or sarcasm or whatsoever, physically and verbally abuse you. Yeah, since this body is already given out, then for what purpose do you still cherish it? Now I must. It's almost like I'm, a, I'm like a broken tape, ah,、uh, but I must really, really highlight, yeah, because、uh, without this teaching, already sometimes I see that Buddhists tend to take a very、uh, passive,、uh, doormat mentality. Anything people do, ah,、uh, it's okay. Anything people do, ah, me too for. Anything people do, ah,、uh, it's okay. Um. Yeah, I I don't think that's the way to do it, huh? <laughs> when when there is um uh, uh injustice, it's perfectly okay to speak up. It's perfectly okay to speak up. The trouble is, can we speak up without emotional uh, agitation? Mm. Can we speak up simply because there is something wrong? That、uh, to speak up without greed, hatred, and delusion—that's、uh, the challenge. Not easy. Yeah, not easy. Usually, we would speak up when we are compelled emotionally.、Uh, that's easy to do.、Uh, but to do that, you don't need to attend Dharma class. We already know, we are quite good at it. Yeah, you don't need Dharma class to teach you to respond with emotions. Respond with anger. Respond with frustration. <coughs> 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 We don't need Dharma class to teach that. 
Do you all need me to teach you all how to fight back? <laughs> I don't think we need. Huh? Yeah. So, um, most people think that, oh, since that is wrong, then we must come here to learn how to just don't do anything. And people score us unreasonably. When we have any time we have conflict, we just bear with it. Byron, Chen Jing. <laughs> but actually, that's not a. I don't think that's a Buddhist. I don't know whether that's a Buddhist idiom. Uh, Byron, Chen Jing. <laughs> yeah. So, to me, uh, if we come to Buddhism simply to learn to like, become passive, again, that. That is just part of Chinese culture. You don't need to come to Buddhism to learn. But rather, it is to come and learn, hey, when you are faced with unreasonable people, how do you put out the fire inside? How do you do that? And after putting out the fire inside, to respond with compassion. That's not easy to do. To respond with wisdom. To know when to respond. That is wisdom. And that is really not easy to do. Even Sufu is still learning. <laughs> huh? mm. uh, so, when we look at these verses, we must know that uh, there's this application involved. Maybe one day I should let you all do some role playing. Uh, mm. I do that for some classes. Yeah? Where you all form into pairs or small groups. And I will get you all to, uh, let's say, have one person be the provocator and the other person to be the recipient. Gonna scold it. Then after that, swap. Yeah. Then you observe. Even though, I will t- and I will tell you, huh, now on paper, it sounds like, what good will it do? But I will tell you, even though it is a, a, a simulation, yeah, but the emotions will get really quite, I mean, still measured, yeah, somewhat measured, but you will still feel that stress. Yeah. So maybe maybe one of these days uh, we can try that. 一切无害业令身尽顺受愿比见我者悉获众利益 So the first two uh, verses, 一切无害业令身尽顺受 yeah, So uh, all those actions, all, all those deeds that is to be done to us, uh, if it's harmless, uh, let this body just, you know, experience it. Yeah. So the the let me see huh? uh, So this Yuan Bi Jian Yeah this verse itself um, is it is actually very similar to the vows of various Buddhas. Yeah that whoever will see us, they will come to benefit. Uh, there was one day uh, when I was staying here. 
and I was in my room. Uh, I think it was in the afternoon or something. Uh, and then I had this thought. Uh, I realized that, yeah, for for all these years, for so long, I have not entertained the thought. Ah, let me dress up nicely. Let me well, look presentable so that people will find me attractive. <laughs> now, of course, what it, when Sifu say this, you're like, are you crazy? Like, of course, you should not have this. But then it was, um, it was that day that I had this awareness that, oh, yeah, it's been so long. And in fact, not that that day I have this thought, uh, but suddenly there's this awareness that, oh yeah, I have not entertained such thoughts for all this while. And because I don't entertain this kind of thoughts, then uh, the related uh, worry and anxiety don't exist. Sometimes, so much so that other people worry for me, you know. Yeah, so much so that some people will say, Sifu, ah, you must wash your face. Ah. Not bright, ah, not bright. <laughs> Sifu, how come you never shave your hair? Wow, you, uh, go to ceremony, what, never shave your like, But it's, the timing is wrong. That day we're not supposed to... Sh- like we shave once a week or twice, once every two weeks. Haven't reached the day. Sorry, lah, you, I, I, I usually won't go and purposely shave just because there's a ceremony. If it's this length, it's this length. If it's this length, it's this length. Not time yet. Bokao teng mighty. There are some days, you know, there's, there's the... Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I realized, yeah, the, it's the, oh yeah, I've been free of this kind of worry for so long. So I don't know how you all feel. Because I know that last time, I had this... I I have to I I do have that kind of like like some days wake up bad hair day. What piame? Chiga, my load will be my load. My hair is all over the place, no. Yeah. And then yeah. So so following that thought, then I had this thought. Ah. May, I just somehow that day after that, with, with that, wow, so joyful. Then I thought, ah, may, ed, may everyone who see me uh, be reminded of the, of renunciation. Yeah. And then the moment I had this thought, then I, I realized, ah, that's what the Buddhas had, you know, that, that direction that is different from the worldly mindset. Worldly mindset, whoever see me can find me attractive. Find me, a, whether it's physically attractive or find that I am dependable, I can that you can do business with or something, something, something. Yeah, And it's almost always directed towards worldly gain in various forms. Uh, and of course, there are people who argue and say, no, I just dress up to feel good. Feel good about what? If you dig deep enough, it's always directed back to, hmm, 
satisfaction of some form. Yeah. But with that, then there are corresponding fears and anxiety. So, last time when I hear about oh, the Buddha's vow, you know, when you hear like the Pure Land practice, oh, you just hear the Buddha's name, then we'll go all this, whatever. Honestly, all these years, for many years, I'm like, sure not. <laughs> like, huh? so miraculous, you know. Yeah, but from what I, I experienced, my own thought process, then I can appreciate that, yeah, if even I, such a lowly, unenlightened being, <laughs> can have such a thought, why would the Buddha not have this kind of thought that whoever were to just recite my name, yeah, within suitable conditions, I will come and teach you. Not the way we think, wow, you are doing stupid things, and he, <laughs> no, not like that. But given the right conditions, we'll try to see how they can help you. Just as a mother would try to find all the ways to help the child, you know, have better conditions to study. But if the child wants to study, what can the mother do? Huh? So now, I don't know how you feel, but now when I read such a verse, I can appreciate, yeah. It is, first of all, possible to have this kind of mindset. Yeah. And secondly, possible for a cultivator to work towards making this a reality. Making this a reality. Because if you consider, our worldly mindset is, uh, uh, see, see, See you worldly. That whoever see me, may they bestow upon me benefit. Huh? Of various forms, whether it's praise, wow, today you're dressed so nicely. Hey, where do you buy this clothes so nice? <laughs> well, that's also benefit. Yeah. Uh, again, I must highlight, I'm not like, you know, pointing finger and saying, oh, why are you like that? But I'm just highlighting that uh, this is the distinction between the Bodhisattvas, the enlightened <coughs> ones, versus our worldly mindset. Yeah, and, and this mindset, not easy for me to let you understand why what's so bad, huh? but when you have this mindset, then you <laughs> simply put, you have the related worry. Because you you also should the thing you also do the thing you you hope to have that just very simply you want people's affirmation. Yes, does it feel good when people affirm you? It feels good. But once you have that as a condition for your happiness, then that is also a condition for your suffering. Uh, you all can go and take a look at one sutta called Pia Jataka. Pia Jataka inside the uh, should be Majima Nikaya yes
my Mandarin is really bad. Uh huh. And the English translation is sound, but it is still quite right. Uh huh. I listen to your explanation. Oh, what happened? Is this the only text that 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 has this English version? There's no other translation. Uh, oh, that there are other English translation. Oh, to be fair, others. yeah, there are others also. Yeah, this is only one of them. Yeah, because in the Tibetan tradition, uh, is uh, there's quite a few uh, different masters who translate this. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to clarify? Uh, no, it's just that so, uh, it's rather confusing when I read the English text. Oh, you mean the full commentary or? Just the verses, huh? Yeah. yeah. Like some of comma is missing, or maybe a word is on second line rather than the first line. Oh, okay. For example, like if those who see me, uh huh, is it entertain a thought of anger or devotion? Uh huh. If I were to just read the English translation, I wouldn't be able to understand all this very well without listening to your explanation. Uh huh. Oh, I guess um, the uh, you notice that I actually put them in verses, yeah, because the original text was in verses. So s sometimes certain translations they will basically make it into like a proper paragraph. Then in some ways it's more readable. Uh, in the the approach to translation, oftentimes. Uh, is a balance between readability versus authentic authenticity. Yeah. So, uh, in my own uh, translation work, I do find that it is quite a challenge. Uh, so, for many translators, they try their best to remain uh, true to form with the original text. Uh, but some of the uh, more contemporary ones, they will try to strike a perhaps you could say a better balance yeah we can actually see that uh, for earlier masters like uh, venerable xuanzang and venerable kumarajiva yeah uh, venerable kumarajiva his translation tends to be more readable venerable xuanzang dasu tends to be more literal yeah uh, you would think that Venerable Xuanzang, being a Chinese, he should be able to write in prose in a very readable way. But his approach was to be more literal. Whereas for Venerable Kumarajiva, he is not a Chinese. He's not even within the boundaries. He's actually outside of what we call China already. Yeah. Uh, but his approach was to make it more readable. Having done some translations myself, uh, I suspect it is precisely because of their differences in nationality. Venerable Kumarajiva, being um, semi-Indian in origin from the outskirts, uh, his concern will be whether Chinese can understand what, he's, what he translated. So he tried to make it more readable. Whereas for Venerable Xuanzang, he being a Chinese, he's afraid that he overdo it. So he wants to be more... Uh, true to form, authentic to the original text. 
Yeah. So their approach, you will find that if there's any sutra that has been translated by the two of them, one would have um, have more uh, literal uh, verses, which tend to sound a bit terse. Yeah, and that would usually be Xuanzang Da Si translation. Yeah. Uh, I find that um, if you are able to read both translations, uh, it oftentimes gives you a, a more rounded appreciation of what the, the original text actually tries to convey. Uh, let me see what is the time because I realized that uh, uh, in my watch is 9.23 so I don't know whether Mel is following the, the official time throughout the world or BL time <laughs> yeah because my watch is 9.24 what is your watch? yeah but that one is already 9.27 so every time when she comes up, she feels very panicky. Like, oh, it's already so late. But actually, it's barely 9.30. <laughs> so how? <clears throat> but do we start at 9.30 according to that clock? Uh, to oh, so you all call me when... Ah, okay. So, uh, any questions? Any other questions? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Come again. What is manifest? Yeah. So the meaning that all things arise from alaya consciousness yeah is there any other questions So I will give you the short answer. For a long answer, attend the Wednesday class. <laughs> yeah, alaya. Alaya. Alaya literally means storage. Mm. Yeah. So it refers to the storage consciousness, which is the number eight consciousness. Uh, and brief in brief, uh, it is responsible for uh, storing our our karmic imprints. Mm. Okay. Mm. Okay. If there's no other questions, then we can call it a day. Put our palms together.
，愿消三障诸烦恼，愿得智慧真明了，普愿罪障悉消除，世世常行菩萨道。I'd like to also dedicate uh, to those who perish in the earthquake in Philippines. May they have the conditions to be reborn in happier realm or pure land, and have the conditions to learn and practice the Buddha Dharma. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Sidi. <laughs>